Welcome back, everyone, to a new episode of China Tech Chat, the new expert format on trends and tech in China. Today it's just us two, Kimo and myself, because today I'm going to interview Kimo since he's the expert on this topic. Hello, Kimo. Hello to Sydney. Hey, great to be back. It was always my favorite event of the week. I think now it has been a bit more than two and a half weeks. So very happy to be here today again and to talk about a very exciting topic that's close to my heart. We're going to talk about the VUCA environment in China. So we're going to investigate how firms can achieve excellence in the Chinese high-tech industry. Speaking of high-tech, let's first have a look at how high-tech is defined in China. The high-tech industry in China is defined as a group of companies that are engaged in one or more of the following fields. It can be either high-tech, high-tech product research, development, product and technical services. But the important thing is that the dominant technology in their products must belong to the identified high-tech fields, the high-tech fields that the Chinese government defines as such. And the dominant technology must include leading high-tech processing or technological breakthroughs. I think the important part here is that the Chinese government says that the product or the field that the company is tackling belongs to the high-tech fields as defined by the Chinese government. So let's have a look at what role high-tech plays in China in general. For several years now, China has contributed more to global GDP growth than any other country and before the coronavirus pandemic struck, China was often accounted for close to one third of the world's growth. And despite the dip in 2021, when due to the pandemic, China contributed only one quarter of global GDP growth, it remains important. And it remains important because there has been a shift in China's growth model because of their shift towards the high-tech industry sector. So there's less dependence on property and infrastructure investments now and more dependence on more importance in the high-tech industry sector. And this includes high-tech manufacturing and also consumer spending. Yet coming back to our topic, let's discuss what the VUCA environment is doing to this high-tech sector. And I would like to start off with you, Kimo, defining what VUCA actually is. As you just said, today we picked a super interesting topic if we are ready for VUCA. And the question is not if you're ready for VUCA, but the question is, are we ready to VUCA as well? So it means, are we ready for a volatile, uncertain, complex and ambiguous environment? And as we have seen in China today, China has not been very predictable. So in literature, the term VUCA has been defined way back there by the U.S. War College in the early 1990s to describe a world after the Soviet Union collapse. Rogers in 2014 has coined this term, and he stated that the military literature identifies the key learning leadership practices from the past and that culture, mm -hmm. trainings, assignments, and knowledge sharing are essential to managing uncertainty in the army organization. So as Chinese high-tech industry faces unique challenges in an effect of survival and advancement, the situation of being in a life-threatening survival situation in the military and being in the Chinese market, which is shaken by so many events, can be 
compare to um, the parallels between them. So um, they equally have to adapt and to strive in a VUCA environment, just like it's the case in delicate military situation. And this is also the notion how VUCA relates to the whole business literature. It has been a part of the organizational literature and later became also a part of the strategic literature. We think that now more than ever, the term VUCA and also understanding what best practices can be done in order to deal with this uncertainty is very relevant for China. To just summarize that, what can we draw upon in order to be better and to be well, better prepared for that? Scholars state that today, due to increasingly geographically and organizational diverse disruptions, innovations, and the ongoing digitalization and dynamic setup is of amplified importance for managing heterogeneity and growth in today's business. And today's business leaders are not only obliged to possess an entrepreneurial skill set and physical ability, but also to perform mental activities, such as in the military, heuristics, controlled mental processing, social cognition, and to create competitive positioning that is fit for the future. Can you give some examples yeah. about that, like in the managerial context? So in the managerial context, you would say in the typical Western paradigm, when you face transformation, you would identify that you sense, seek and seize opportunities. So you see opportunities mm -hmm. in the context and you would say that you see what's out there. You would take control situation, then you would capitalize the situation which is a very typical model that has been constructed in, in management. But also, transformation has been widely a fascinating topic for other scholars, such as John Cotter and Leading Change. It all ties together because you cannot just say, okay, it is only about the sensing, seizing, and shaping, or only about the selective heuristics and controlled mental social cognition, but also about change in general. So, for example, if you look at Leading Change from John Cotter, he really highlights how you have to over-communicate the change to the other parts of the organization by a factor of 100 that it triples down. So change is not only a problem of understanding and leading it, but also of communication. One of the things is having the right leaders in place that understand the situation, can make the right context, have the resources, and then it's also getting everybody on board and distributing this, this knowledge effectively. Right. And how does that differ from Western management tactics? Because I'm imagining, okay, let's say an American manager sitting there, they also have to analyze the environment, the, the market, the threats, the opportunities. They have to formulate strategies and see how they can tackle certain challenges and to push their business to the next level. So looking at the Chinese style and also now linked to the VUCA environment, more like military tactics, how would that differ? Would you have examples for that too? I mean, first of all, we are not very familiar with what really happens in China. So everything that's in literature is based on the Western environment. So you would say you have management paradigms to deal with uncertainty that are from the mm -hmm. West. And I mean, this is also one of the big problems that now the world is highly concerned with the rapid changes in China's business environment. And the question is also how to structure business in China and also investments in China in the coming years, having this pressing concern with major operations in China. 
the research is useful for, for Western perspective, but the question is here, to which degree can we really understand also what is happening in China and how we can react to the Chinese environment? I think mm -hmm. one way of understanding or being able to prepare for the Chinese environment is going a bit uh, into related fields to understand cultural underpinnings of China and also what has been taught in the Chinese context, for example, the Confucian context. And if we go, for example, back in Chinese history, we can say there has been also the same learnings for the Chinese environment that it has been for the West, but there's just missing the literature and it has been missing that people put the things together. And I would mm -hmm. say, if you look from a Chinese perspective, you have very different underpinnings than from the West. From the West, you would assume that you have the typical ones of division of labor, you have the, um, the idea of ambidexterity, um, that you balance your resources, and also Max Weber, and all these things have influenced the West fundamentally. But we have to understand that sometimes the things that work in the West don't necessarily work in China. And the same is the problem of Pure's now. Companies are in this Chinese VUCA environment, and the question is, what do you do in a big company? Do you just apply literature? Or is there any problem with doing that? Because literature is based on old white man's knowledge, right? <laughs> so <laughs> well, that's the question, right? You have an old white man telling something from their experience, and it's a very biased picture. It doesn't include mm -hmm. the view of women. It doesn't include the view of any other cultures. So I think to be able to, in the future, react to what's happening in China, especially you have to go from this ambidexterity thinking that has been now developed as a dominant paradigm shift. If you look at alone as strategic literature, you would say that, okay, at the beginning you had the firm in the market-based view, and then you basically developed that a bit more to a resource-based view, also a knowledge-based view, and then now you come into the ideas of, of ambidexterity, that you have one finger in the water and see how hot that water is, in one thing you basically have in your operations and see if everything is running smooth so you divide your cognitive mm -hmm. resources as a manager. But this worked in the West because there's some sense of predictability in the West because the market is guided by policies mm -hmm. that are to some extent reliable. And China is a different animal. China is a different animal because China is so hierarchical structured and the organs of power have way more influence and can act a lot faster. But also because the society is structured differently, that, for example, you don't have this high amount of individualism. If something is decided and trickles down, it happens a lot faster because you don't have the individuals like in the U.S. all do the same thing. And you would basically still have more of a balance, right? China, as we've also seen, is, is a lot of catch and release, a lot of rapid decisions, extreme decisions, let play and then stop play, as we've seen from the government, but also innovation as a very unbureaucratic environment that's very fast scaling. So you have the China speed on one hand, and then you have this cyclical movement alone from a macro environment, not really compatible to the Western world. And from a micro environment, you have a whole other set of problems. One of them is the concept of face. In Chinese, it says that society does not allow to talk about weakness. So this is also very prominent in the Chinese management system as weaknesses are isolated to not affect operations, but are never really talked about. 
and this opaque structure makes it more difficult to have the transparency that you're used to in the West. So the typical SWOT analysis is not even possible. The basic fundamentals of Western management are not working. So you can't really apply the basic concepts and then you're trying mm -hmm. to apply the holistic models and you're just like, okay, why doesn't that work? Oh, maybe my assumptions are wrong. Maybe the fundamental pillars that the series built on because they built on a defined and agreed upon body of knowledge are also not applicable as SWOT analysis. And one funny story that I heard is that they ask a consultant to optimize operations in a Chinese company. And this consultant said, okay, I'm doing it just the same as I did in the West because I had good results with that. So in order to increase the bottom line, I just look for productivity or reduce the headcount. And this boils also down to the, the second concept that I want to talk about. It's about the concept of uh, Guanxi. And uh, Guanxi means goodwill, but also relates to the company of being a quasi-family with a business owner. If the business owner in China talks about headcount reduction, then there's something very critical and something that nobody wants to hear. Because you would fire your family members, right? Right, if you right, would let right. them go. Yeah. So that fundamentally changes the dynamic of how a consultant could work in the Chinese context and also how the Chinese companies are managed in terms of transformations. When we talk about VUCA, we talk about transformative environments where you have fast impact and fast changes. And if you can't mm -hmm. apply the changes to the environment, then you need a different set of tools, right? You need the right tools for the right job. And the Western go-to methods like this headcount reductions off the table. So how do they do it then? When you have a consultant whose task is to restructure a company to optimize operations and he can't reduce the headcount in China, what does he or what does the management, the senior C-level staff usually do? If you can't reduce the headcount, you obviously have to do something else. For example, reduce the material cost. So you just pull different levers. I mean, mm -hmm. there are a lot of different things to improve the bottom line in the end. You can reduce material cost. You can Im improve productivity by motivation. Would it also be a possibility for them to restructure by just assigning certain staff to different projects, like working with the same people, but in a different way? Is that what Chinese companies usually do? Absolutely. So instead of firing somebody, you would say, okay, you have a new task now. So you become more of a generalist. This is something that at least I have observed. It also, it also depends on a case-by-case -case basis. I think one of the most interesting things is that in this fast-paced decisions, you need more EQ before IQ. When you mm -hmm. have these transformations, it's important, especially in China. And it's also the, the last concept to focus on emotional intelligence and the EQ before you use the IQ. So it's all about this ties in with the relationship context that you see how things pan out in the long term and how you deal with situations effectively without hurting somebody. And productivity in China, to my understanding, really comes from respect. And if you pay the right respect, people are intrinsically motivated and then they will do what you need them to do. An arm's length approach would be that in the West, like hire and fire, then people are just offended and they wouldn't like to work for you. In the West, it's very normal that you are more like a mercenary but in the Chinese or also, I think, in the, in the broader Asian context, I mean, look in Japan, it's also very stark there. 
that you have long-term mm -hmm. relationships and the relationship context and the long-term is important and also to focus on EQ than IQ. Yeah. Because how I look at it from a Western perspective myself is that you have these hierarchy structures at the one hand side, then mm -hmm. at like clear tasks that are assigned. So people are following their tasks list, but at the same time, everybody speaks about the entrepreneurial skill set that Chinese companies have and how fast they move and fast they apply new strategies. China speed is a term that everybody's using. Listening to you, I understand that the managers are often the entrepreneurial people who have the ability to act quickly, react to new threats or new circumstances in the market with a fast pace, which involves assigning people to certain tasks. So my understanding is the managers are very entrepreneurial. The staff is usually following their direction, which would somehow match with your message that EQ is more important in the West, I understand usually a manager is looking for intelligent people with a high IQ that would also find their own solutions and somehow also define their own roles to a certain extent, which I find is one very obvious difference. I think this is, uh, of course, a stereotype, right? So we define sure. stereotypes in order to what is most likely, but we have, yeah. especially also from a young age in school in China, that you listen to authority and you're not questioning authority. In the West, from young agents, you want to discuss everything mm -hmm. <laughs> and you want to question things, especially in the US context. Some European com uh, countries fall somewhere in between as like a, the mediator between those two extremes. But mm -hmm. talking about how this has an implication on the Chinese worker, he doesn't like to structure his own tasks. Um, usually, if he has been mm -hmm. educated in a his context, he plays a lot of attention to the roles and the hierarchical structures and has a lot of respect for the seniors and also for the elderly, which is to some extent also like a good thing. When you look, for example, at parenting or respect for the elderly in general society, in the West, it's completely off the rails. I mean, in many Western countries, it just went down the drain completely. No respect for anybody, no respect for teachers, no respect for the elderly. It's just sad to see. But in, in China, you have the other extreme where you don't even voice your own opinion without being asked for it. You mentioned that it's like a father with his family. And I think that's a good image also to have in mind or keep in mind when we talk about the buka environment. As a parent with small children, you would usually tell your children what to do and guide them how you learned based on your values and how you perceive life and what you deem right or wrong, just to give them a certain framework and more security in the first couple of years. And I think that's probably some, some nice image to, to understand it better. We have a very Western view on that, but also because we're trying to understand, right? Yeah. Coming back to China speed, this is still a somehow unsolved phenomena that everybody's looking at and really um, impressed by. Uh, yeah, let me mention why China is having this China speed that sure. you just mentioned before. So we can understand that in Xi Jinping, China, memories appear like shadows and the country refuses to remember and prescribes future without past. This is a quote from Ah Weiwei, a very controversial political figure. But in this respect, he's right, because China mm -hmm. is moving so fast, industrializing so fast at any cost without remembering their roots to some extent. They never look back. Yeah. And you look in the yeah. big cities and you don't see a lot of culture. Like in Japan, you see a lot of connection to the culture. In China, you sacrifice that in order to be faster. 
So the whole value system is more about being successful. I think there's also a cultural difference. In the West, you say Happy New Year, right? In China, you say, I'm not sure what the Chinese saying is word by word now, but you basically say in the translated, I hope you get rich. That is the wish for the new year. So it's all about progress. It's all about success. And I think you can also find that China is moving fast, but also during moving fast, also have this problem that you can easily be disrupted. We've never seen such disruption before. And there's this also unprecedented levels of volatility and valuation spreads that, for example, UBS has, has found. And we can see also that next to disruption that are internal within China, and that was the people lore, that was the three red lines that we've seen, but also the disruptions of the entertainment industry and then the corona pandemic and how the Chinese state has been dealing with that and the crackdown that we just mentioned on high mm-hmm. Apart from this, we also have megatrends and megatrends add to this picture of this rapid speed and the dis- disruptions of the old. For these megatrends, we see mobility, artificial intelligence, sustainability, and biotechnology. And we see mm-hmm. that for mobility, China is at the forefront of a massive electric vehicle revolution. And the country is the biggest market for electric vehicles worldwide and produces 72% of the world's lithium iron batteries. So they have been really integrated in this upstream focus. I would say it was more like by accident, right? So the Chinese government has been pouring money in there. And then they noticed, oh, we have some, something good going on. And then they never stopped pouring money into it. And then it became a world-class ecosystem, especially in the battery industry, where now BYD is selling the most electric vehicles in the world. They overtook Tesla. It's crazy. And so there's one of the major trends then here. And, and then artificial intelligence automation is extended into the Chinese citizens' everyday life. And especially during the pandemic, you were able to see robots at the front line helping for example, check the temperature of people when they got out of the train, something that's only possible because you have a lot of bureaucracy in China and people are like, okay, we accept robots in everyday life or there's not much bureaucracy that's sent in the way. So you have this quick way to market and, and also to test this innovation, China being a petri dish for growth in this sector mm-hmm. uh, and also the relative cheap local currency and the large labor force obviously also add that you can produce robotics within the country and this notion indicated the trend for Chinese leadership in a very connected niches as well. And then the trend is one of the big ones. So a new environment regulation, the enforcement of the Paris climate goals are becoming more intense and also companies become increasingly accountable for their supply chain. I think to one extent you have the West having ideologies about sustainability that are kind of now basically extended to China because the supply chain needs to be sustainable. And China is part of the supply chain as a partner. And the question is here, how long can Chinese companies be not environmentally friendly and still be part of this this chain? So they're forced by the the B2B business to become greener. And then you have this other notion of Chinese citizens also opening up to the sort of environmental protection, uh, CSR and SDG, and also embracing that from an educational perspective. I think that this comes by Shanghai being so dirty. You see all this air pollution. I think you have experience that something has to be done. So in China, it's not an elusive phenomenon, but environmental pollution is something very tangible in China. Yeah, but not as bad anymore as before. Not- Remember 800 
AQI in Beijing where you couldn't see the next skyscraper, but this is not happening anymore. I understand that you could say the five years plan and the defined high-tech fields are giving a certain framework, which makes it possible for firms to still be actionable in a VUCA environment, because when everything's uncertain, they still have the guidelines at building a certain, a certain field, looking at the regulations, at the funding. As long as you look at these things, you can change as much internally with your business, like staffing, launching new projects, stopping old projects, only looking at how you are guided by the government how you're guided by the managers and this makes it makes it possible for you to follow mm. your path although the environment is very unstable is that the central message this is one message mm -hmm. for a very particular amount of businesses right and the tables are turning china is seeming also transforming to be a developed country and so you have also innovation made in china And you have this guided funds that propel this innovation. And if you are aligned with the government, you can arbitrage the VUCA environment as it is. And this is also mm -hmm. something that I've seen in some of the cases where government involvement has been a factor. And for upcoming companies and especially for CVC activity from big companies, It needs to be considered uh, what the five-year plan is and how this aligns. And anything that is outside the five-year plan is risky. It's more risky than before. And the last one is the biotech sector and at the core area of national scientific and economic development. You see the government interests there. And there are significant opportunities in China. And those include an improved policy support due to recent developments and innovation breakthroughs in AI augmented biotech space, connecting to the topic before. And uh, there's an increasing available and educational talent in the biotech sector, especially with Chinese universities ranking higher and higher in world university rankings and becoming more respected and also attract talent from abroad themselves instead of just sending people abroad and getting them back as academics. And you see that technology accumulation and long-term government inputs are likely to result in improved R&D outputs in this sector. Some important hallmarks innovations in this space includes special robotics, high-end instrumentation, rail transportation equipment, and high-end computer numerical control uh, machinery that are all important for the logistics and also for the operations of hospitals and how they can deal with patients and then what drugs you can develop. So it's a whole, whole ecosystem here as well. We discussed the management style. We said that as for Western companies that come to China, it's important to always sit down, reflect on the management style. If there's anything that should be adapted in your tools, rethinking everything that you actually learn from scratch in the West, looking at the developments on a global scale with the geopolitics and the growing uncertainty in our world. I think it's, it's probably a good advice to adapt a lot of these tactics and strategies and apply local learnings on a more global scale to stay innovative. I'm not sure if you have anything to add. If so, please jump in. I think that the main takeaway is that you look at a Chinese company and also leadership within the Chinese VUCA environment. And, and what does it take to, to be VUCA? What does it take to dance into this VUCA environment? Necessary things are rather than being ambidextrous in, in the West, you would be more reactive. The Chinese success factors depend on portray of more creative, but also 
more resourceful activities that are in response to what basically happens in the external environment.